Howdy. We are back in the saddle for another episode of Connect This. And I say that because we have an actual cowboy here with us this time. So uh, this is a show that we're going to focus on a variety of topics. We're going to talk about uh, some wireless particularly because we got two companies that spend a lot of work on wireless, although both of them also do fiber and both of them have been around for a long time. So um, Matt Larson is with Vistabeam. Um, Matt is, uh, is a real cowboy, as I understand. Is that right? I grew up on a ranch. I wouldn't say I'm not much of a cowboy anymore, but uh, I, I call myself the wireless cowboy, I guess, just because I, I still get to go play in pastures. It's just with towers instead of cows now. Yes, and and definitely uh, um, a, a focus on the West and in connecting it. So you're active in Western Nebraska, Wyoming, Colorado. Uh, is that the bulk of it? That's, that's it. It's 40,000 square miles worth. So it's plenty of territory. And for people who aren't familiar with uh, how much 40,000 square miles is, it's quite a bit. <laughs> it's quite a bit. In Kentucky, apparently, we found out when we were starting <laughs> on our marketing. Excellent. Uh, we have Alan Fitzpatrick joining us again from Open Broadband down in, uh, in North Carolina, but active in some bordering states as well, I believe. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. South Carolina and Virginia are our markets as well. We deal with a lot of trees and Everything from mountains to coast. Excellent. Yeah. And you're uh, you're uh, kind of distributed throughout North Carolina. You like to taste all of the pain of rural North Carolina. <laughs> There's a big need everywhere. So we try to provide a solution where we can. Excellent. And then uh, you know, anyone who isn't familiar with Travis Carter uh, running USI Fiber in Minneapolis and has been our co-host, I think Travis missed one show and we decided that we'd rather just not do another show without him. So Ooh, welcome back, Travis. Very nice. I, I I feel kind of inferior. We only have 52 square miles. So, you know, it's uh, that, that's a big piece of dirt Matt's dealing with out there. So, and, and of course, our fearless leader, Mr. Christopher Mitchell. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm half the time I forget to introduce, introduce myself. Yeah. Um, well, well just, I mean, you are, you are very famous in this industry, I found out. Well, depending on whether I'm feeling very arrogant, I might think people already know me. Or if I'm having a day where I'm feeling really humble, I might think it doesn't matter who I am. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you're kind of a mountain I, connect celebrity, aren't you? Oh yeah, well, for yeah, mountain yeah. connect. I mean, I've yeah, <laughs> I showed up, autographs, right, Chris? Yeah, I've showed up. Um, you know, and that's what it takes. Uh, because yeah. people are just like, I've seen this guy a lot. He must know something, and uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an inference I don't want to discourage by uh, opening my mouth too much. Uh, but I run the Community Broadband Networks program at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and um, I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, across uh, the river that Travis refuses to cross to connect me. You know, I, I no, hold on. I came over for ice cream the other night. I told you, and the, it was three. This is typical Minnesota. Three blocks long was the line to get. Oh, ice three cream. blocks long. It was two blocks when you told no, me before. Hey, don't let the truth get in the way of good story. So you know, Randall they, Creamery, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, so I was there a few days later. And I sent him a, and I sent him a text that he should come over because there was no line then. <laughs> yeah, there was a long line when I was there. So we have uh we have a photo from a fan and um and i just wanted to to note i mean i'll just say that like you know jason hardeback from baltimore claims to be a, a super fan of ours but uh we referenced him in the last show and I, I didn't hear from him so i think i don't know he might be doing his job rather than just screwing off and watching us talk but uh but uh, we'll see if he if he eventually catches up and lets us know what was going on in one of those photos 
Uh, I think it was a question about an Omni being too high off the ground. And the question is whether it's very that, if it's very uh, effective, if it's um, that high up. Um, so uh, we have a picture though. Uh, this was sent to us from another super fan from uh, and past guest uh, on the show, Peggy. And, um, and so we thought we'd check it out. It's a water tower. Um, it's looking pretty slick. Um, and so I don't know, uh, there's a couple of different uh, images of it, but uh, to me, all I recognize is that there's some cellular stuff on it. I don't know if there's anything interesting from anyone else's perspective. Yeah, a lot of sector antennas, uh, probably which cellular. Are the, which are the sector antennas, the, the big rectangles? The rectangles, right. Yeah. So nothing else that, that um, jumps out? Was there two pictures or one? I thought I saw one. Was there another one before this one, right? Yeah, that one there. Look in the upper right-hand corner at the very top. Is that a little ubiquity omni up there? I mean, a directional? It's hard for me to tell. Uh, is there any way of zooming in on that? Yeah, I zoomed in. I don't know. But this looks like a cell site to me. Well, you can tell it's a cell site by all the cages and giant enclosures down at the bottom. Because yeah, I, yeah. your usual WISP isn't putting that kind of capital investment in there in the tower but yeah i don't i don't see any unlicensed do you guys unless that little guy at the top is well i mean it's hard to tell um yeah, yeah those could be cbrs sectors they could be 5g cellular most likely it's cellular depending on the population base the cabling looks cellular as well it's not yeah. it doesn't appear to be ethernet or fiber i actually the wire the water tower is kind of cool <laughs> i thought it was a grain silo but that's cool the people of Baltimore should be very happy about Jason's comment. <laughs> he just uh, he just threw in the chat that he's uh, just focused on his work. Yeah, I think he's the fan, I thought we decided, right? <laughs> Don't spill the beans. Interesting uh, ladder on the side. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I mean, I um, I thought it was it was interesting. It looks like uh like a, I don't know if more modern water towers. I mean, to me that looks like a more modern water tower. I'm assuming if they're like made to be friendlier to uh, attachments, uh, is that even a consideration for the folks who are making these since it's so common? You would think they put a corral on the top if they really wanted to make it favorable. Well, that's what I was wondering. How do you think they service that? I mean, they must use, they must use a cherry picker or something to get up there. Because it's got to be a bucket truck. It yeah. would be really hard to, uh, you know, creep around the sides, or somebody could basically rappel down from the top. But that's it's a very I mean, suboptimal way of trying to maintain. Yeah. It. But judging from the size, I mean, that's got to be what like forty feet. I mean, it can't be that much bigger. If you look at the size of the antenna relative to the size of the tower, like it's got to be a pretty small. Are water you tower. sure that's a water tower? No. I oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought somebody called it. <laughs> I mean, I forget. Cool. So the thing is that Peggy sent it to us, and then I I read it, and then I my brain got wiped. Okay, it looks like a grain silo to me, but you know. Oh, that. Ry, do you know? Do you want to jump in? Do you remember? Did you read it um, more closely? Well, why would it be? No, it's got to be a water tower. It can't be. You're not gonna have one grain. Yeah, right in the middle of a neighborhood. <laughs> That's cool. I've never seen one like that before. All right. But the, guys, the guys are right. The giveaways at the bottom. I mean, look at that. That uh, that is a that's a nice revenue generating site for somebody. That's a nice big generator there too, isn't it? That seems quite large. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, it's not huge, but for what they need, it's it, it's it's appropriate. So yeah, no, I think it's a it's a sell site would be my vote. 
Yeah, I would second that. Cool. Um, the um, the thing we're going to jump into. So, I mean, let me do a little preview here. We're going to be talking about uh, bead again uh, from different perspectives. Uh, talking about wireless uh, quite a bit. Uh, about some permitting issues and um, uh, some of the issues around. Where are my notes here? Um, uh, some of the dynamics among uh, Wisps, um, but uh, this is going to be a show that I think uh, offers um, you know a different perspective than than many. Just in terms of uh, I think having knowledgeable people who who uh, uh, don't agree and will challenge and have an interesting conversation about it. Um, I thought we'd start with the network announcement uh, from Resound that they have completed a, a six gigahertz test. Resound is a company that has been successful in winning uh, many locations via the um, Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, the FCC, Federal Communications Commission uh, auction process uh, that uh, we all call ARDOF that um, uh, awards them money for, to do gigabit wireless and uh, fiber, I think they build, they bid. And now they're going to do a little bit more wireless than they thought or they're trying to. Um, but I wanted to get a sense of what anyone knows about the wireless uh, trials, because I'm always suspicious about this, just sort of like pilots and whatnot, and um, and particularly whether one can connect entire um, you know regions with this technology, or if you can just hit the occasional house and everyone else gets 100 megabits or something like that. So uh, does anyone know more than was in the telecompetitor article that I think probably put, put it on most of our radars? I'll share a couple of things. One is Nextlink uh, basically repeated the results. They were getting a gig and a half with six gigahertz in their test. Uh, and they were able to do it for several miles. So, you know, compared to like a 60 gigahertz millimeter wave that only goes, you know, a short distance. I mean, this really is for, for distance. So it was pretty impressive. Now, a couple of things about sorry. the test is they used 160 megahertz channels, which was really wide. It's like you're not really going to deploy that. So this was like the maximum six gigahertz would do. So when you say uh, 60 gigahertz goes a short distance, just for people's sense, um, what does that mean? Um, like, uh, um, is that where we talk about sort of 5G uh, small cells in the neighborhoods where it's like 500 to 1,000 feet or a different amount? Uh, it can go a little further than that. We've uh, tested up to a kilometer uh, and some of the vendors are saying it can go a mile, uh, maybe a mile and a half, but it does require perfect line of sight. So six gigahertz has the ability maybe to do that kind of bandwidth for a much longer distance. Very promising. And then I think the other question I have is um, the it's using six gigahertz, but what is the like the technology that um, it is using? Does that make sense? I don't know how to ask the question. Like, what's the the protocol or um, the actual? Like, six gigahertz is just a swath of spectrum, right? Like, I don't know what technology uses that. Oh, oh, go ahead, Matt. It looks like you're. Oh, so I know the 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 tests were both done. Uh, I believe the Nextlink test was done with Cambium gear, and they were using the EPMP forty six hundred series, which is an extension of I think it's basically a Wi Fi chipset with completely different uh, silicon and and uh, completely different software on top of it to do the scheduling. Um, and Resound did it with. Airspan equipment, which is based off of, I believe that's the Mimosa platform. And the Mimosa was basically entirely new silicon uh, that isn't necessarily Wi-Fi based. 
So, you know, we're, we're seeing some stuff that's adjusted from the Wi-Fi chipset, but an evolution. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, a lot of the 60 gig stuff, I believe CN wave and some of those are using a Qualcomm chipset. So, uh, it's, it's not necessarily Wi-Fi based anymore, even though there was some kind of Wi-Fi ish IEEE type stuff that is used a lot in 60 gig. I know we use a lot of Microtik in 60 gig, which is just really an expensive Wi-Fi type stuff, but we use that for point to point in some very narrow areas. And, uh, uh, but we're seeing some interesting, the, the platforms are evolving and you hear all this stuff about like 5G and all the millimeter wave 5G and, you know, 3G PVP and all this. I don't really see that. I'm, I'm not interested in that evolution at all. Uh, like the 5G infrastructure is basically, it's a billing system that just happens to have broadband connectivity attached to it. Uh, I really like some of the stuff that they're doing with these new platforms. They're more optimized for uh data delivery than trying to identify billing events that can be used to to get more revenue out of customers will we see anyone um like adjust that i mean because i know that there are open source implementations that come along with those sorts of um uh, technologies right that try to strip out the billing and, and focus on uh, delivery for more community platforms maybe in other countries and things like that yeah, I, I've seen, uh, so we used an LTE platform for a while uh, that tried to strip a lot of that stuff out. And ultimately we concluded that LTE just wasn't worth messing with. So we have most of it stripped out and we went back to uh, Cambium platform, which is more focused on just data. Uh, and that seems to do a lot better job of fulfilling what we want to do. Now, if you're looking at like what Verizon and T-Mobile and some of these other companies want to do, and probably Dish to a degree, they are very committed to running uh, like a 3G PPP type platform and kind of putting mobile and fixed wireless on the same system. So, you know, that's that's where there's probably, there, there's going to be some advantages and disadvantages back and forth. But, you know, I we, we've just gotten to the point where it makes more sense to just run a dedicated, and we're going to focus on data, number one, and all the rest of that stuff, mobility and private LTE and all this other stuff is like secondary. We can, we'll do overlays if we have to on a basic data network, as opposed to try and try and deal with all the extra complexity of LTE. It just is a kind of, it was really a nightmare for us to try and deal with at the time. Is and there's a question there on the from Jason asking why it wasn't worth messing with it, and I would, I'm gonna just from what little I know of it, I'm I'm wondering if it's like um, there's a lot of overhead which is designed that like allows you to manage tons of different kinds of devices and things like that, but you're not doing that. You're connecting home after home after home, and you don't need any of that complexity, right? Yeah, I mean LT has all these different things built into it, but you have all kinds of extra complexity. Um, for example, requiring a packet core, which is a very complex piece of equipment, um, setting up tunnels and authentication, all this stuff. I mean, it just, there are just so many different levels of complexity in there that are required to run an LTE system. You just don't need. All we really wanted with LTE was to be able to go through trees and get to more people. And <laughs> no use for any of the rest of the, the those other things. And I've, I've seen, you know, that there's talk about like doing roaming or or doing these other things with uh the platform and we just don't there's there's not nearly much enough there's not nearly enough margin or revenue to even 
mess around with trying to do that uh, because it's it just makes it way too complicated in my mind. Now, somebody that uh, I've talked to other people that are really familiar with it, like LT, and oh, it's easy to roll this stuff out. It's like, man, more power to you. Go for it. But uh, we just didn't see enough value in all the extra features. They weren't doing anything for us. They were taking away from our productivity rather than enhancing it. Are you putting CBRS in that bucket, Matt? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say all CBRS. Now we're, we're we are using a lot of CBRS. We're using the Cambium platform, and we're going to be using Toronto and CBRS. But uh, the the hardware works great. The CBRS model is really disappointing in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I've been going through. I've been working on like some workflow process, and uh, man, we really got sold the bill of goods on some of the CBRS spectrum. Um, the amount of complexity uh, in dealing with the tickets, you have, you know, we we consume a lot of manpower dealing with, you know, we have to register every radio that gets installed. We have to, re I'm fine with registering the base stations, but you know, if we want to replace a radio, we have to put in a ticket, and register the radio ahead of time, and we have to have all this information. So, uh, and then the cost, the cost of access to the Spectrum Access System uh, adds about anywhere from three to five dollars a month per month for every customer that's using it. And then uh, it doesn't bring any value back. The only value it really brings back is, oh, you can access the spectrum. But uh, we've got situations where, you know, there's multiple users in it and whoever has the most stuff up typically kind of, you know, it it's, it's, it isn't really, it, it it's like unlicensed, it's like 2.4 all over again, where people are kind of fighting for spectrum. And the SAS doesn't really do anything to help that. So it's that part's really disappointing. Uh, we're paying a lot for something that just doesn't, I don't know, it, it doesn't do what it could do if it had been managed a little bit better. And I, ho I hope that the new six gig spectrum, uh, like that's being used for these tests with Resound and Nextlink, I hope that it works. The methodology that they use to access the spectrum is a lot better thought out and appropriate than what they did with uh, CBRS because CBRS has got some got some very clunky pieces to it. Now, is that is your understanding? Is this is this point to multi point where you could do multiple homes all? You know, I mean, I would assume not not necessarily dedicated, obviously, but like kind of like a pond system where you have sufficient connectivity that multiple homes can have uh, advertised a gigabit to them that they could legitimately hit occasionally. Not with CBRS, but CBRS. with these uh, the resound test. Oh, the resound test. Um, I mean, theoretically, it's possible if you've got 160 megahertz of clean spectrum. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I could see that work. Um, you know, five gig obviously has some limitations. Uh, you know, you're still pretty much line of sight there. And there's a lot of places where that that'll play just fine. Where Alan's at, I'm guessing that's going to be a, a fairly narrow footprint. Uh, but I think there's a lot of places where, yeah, you are going to see the ability to do gigabit over fixed wireless. You know, the real question, yeah, the real question though is why? Because this whole thing about gigabit is entirely driven by fiber. There is no customer demand for it, not legitimate customer demand. Uh, it is entirely a marketing creation. So I. I think that that's something that I definitely want to talk about. We can dive into that because um, uh, I think that's going to be a meaty topic. Uh, but let's, I want to make sure, Travis, do you have any questions about the six uh, gigahertz test with the resound stuff? 
No, it, it's you know 160 megahertz of spectrum. So you know we we do have to acknowledge. I'm not sure who was president when the FCC passed the entire six gigahertz spectrum being available, but that was a real good thing that happened. Um, you know, there's some there's some power. It's so long ago, who could who knows? Well, I have no yeah. idea. You know, we're, I'm a resultatarian. I've told you that, so I like results. And since we have access to the six gigahertz spectrum, that's a good thing. Which, by the way, we did predict that this was going to be a, a big topic. Um, you know, power is my big question: is how much power do you get access to in the six gig? Um, and then all these tests, no matter if it's five gig, two, four, CBRS, the tests are amazing when the spectrum's clean. Let, let's let's wait till we've got four or five wisps sitting on top of each other. And do they play fair with each other? Does the SAS allocate the spectrum correctly? Can you get 160 megahertz slice? And how much power do you have access to to beam through? Because I don't think you guys can probably, you guys know better than I do, but I don't think you get the same EIRP as you do in Uni three, do you? In six gigahertz, I think I think we're reduced. I think we go from like thirty six dBm down to thirty two, which really hurts. Especially, I'm guessing you're wooded like I am, Alan, where we yeah, actually yeah. like crazy. Yeah, that 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 four dB, boy, that makes all the difference in the world. So I, I think the verdict's out, um, but it will be the natural evolution. Uh, in wireless to be in six gigahertz, and I'm an EPMP fan. I always have been. Um, I, I, I really like their scheduler. I think it provides a a wire like experience. And I think you know, like I've told you in the past, Chris, I think wireless is an excellent like tip of the spear or a rural play. You know, where you have very few customers out on a sector. Um, we tried to do it in an urban area with 2,500 lo locations mounted on, on poles with EPMP. And it was okay. It certainly wasn't great. So we'll, uh, are we going to roll out six gig here in, in the Twin Cities? We Probably not. You know, not, not widespread. We, we might roll it out here and there, uh, depending on, you know, a, a specific need. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, and the environment definitely uh, has an impact. We've always yeah. treated ourselves as technology agnostic. We'll use whatever tool makes sense for the environment. It doesn't have to be the same thing. To answer your question, Chris, uh, you know, point to multipoint is sort of the thing we're looking for in these new solutions. And I'd sort of echo Matt that I don't think we have to deliver more than 100 meg or 200 meg to be very, very successful in this. It doesn't have to be gigabit. I think yeah, even the, the data I saw on Google Fiber was most of their sales were 100 meg service, not gigabit service. So let's uh, let's dive into that for a second. And even though I had a great transition, you know, I had a whole plan, but that's cool. Matt and Alan just toss it out the window. That's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like this is something that Matt and I, uh, I think, disagree on more than, than other things. Um, and uh, from my point of view, it really comes down to whether this is a utility that is planned for the future uh, or not. And I think given that we can see shocks and surprises that come along faster than we have the ability to upgrade, uh, I'm a strong supporter of trying to make sure everyone has gigabit-ish level of connectivity because we don't know when the world changes and suddenly you see a significant new shift in demand. And I feel like, you know, Matt's sort of like, well, if that comes, you know, we'll, we'll get out there and we'll deal with it as soon as possible. And other ISPs may not be as, as fast as that, but um, you know, we plan our electric grid, our water systems, our bridges, you know, with uh, the sense of, of being ready well in advance of, of how the inevitable march of, 
of hunger drives us. And that's where I worry a little bit because I agree with you. 100 megabits split among a family today. Like, you know, heck, even everyone in D.C. pretty much agrees, right? 100 megabits symmetrical. Let's just avoid the symmetry argument right now, Matt. <laughs> but, um, you know, that level of connectivity. Can you tell him like? <laughs> so I mean, like that's I mean that's sort of my reaction is sort of like yeah, like I think it's all right for today, but like you know we've already had this pandemic that we're suddenly like what was good enough then wasn't good enough, and and you need time to respond to that as an ISP to connect thousands of people with upgrades and and that sort of thing. That's why I think money today should be flowing to gigabit level um, connections, not necessarily because people are going to fill up the pipe, uh, but for planning and also. I think, um, you know, this comment from Jim um, also gets in, uh, you know, some additional things that happen to also flow with extra, um, ha having extra capacity on the, on the system. Well, you know, we're seeing now in a lot of the wireless is the capability of doing gigabit speed. So like when Doug Dawson presents his data on what future usage is going to look like and are we building for the future, wireless has that capability. I mean, we're seeing it in the test results. Swapping out radios isn't that difficult. So if a radio has to be swapped out, yes, but that's not a monument. It's not like building your sewer system all over again. So some of the wireless upgrade stuff is just not that bad to go through. Good, Matt. Yeah, well, you know what else is future-proof? Towers, fiber that feeds the towers, all that infrastructure and getting that in place, that's also future-proof. Now, Steel I mean, strand, yep where we've had aloe here uh, in you know, my hometown, we operate out of since like 2004, 2005. So I've been competing with fiber pretty much almost from the time I started this company. And I've had my electronics upgraded a couple of times since we started. So is it really fair to say fiber is 100% future-proof because it also has upgrades and needs to happen. I, I think the the bigger question there, and there, there's nothing wrong with trying to plan for the future, but I don't think it's fair to try and spend all the money now to plan for a future that may or may not happen. Uh, I, I think it makes more sense to go out and address the demand as we can. Like where I'm at, I think it's more important to have middle mile, like fiber to the tower. Yes, it makes sense to go out and do that. Fiber to the end user. Well, there might be a few places where it makes sense to do that but it gets really 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 expensive beyond a certain point and there's a lot of empirical data out there uh this this call for symmetry 100 fiber marketing i think you missed the point where i said let's just save table that for now <laughs> this is i'm just joking with you because i know that this is an issue that you and i go back and forth on <laughs> yeah and jim put some good comments in the uh, comment section about you know is a 50 by 50 with low latency, better than the 200 by 10, or I, I don't have an example in front of me, but something like that. It's it can be much snappier performance to have less speed and 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 smaller latency. So just trying to look at speed alone is not the best way to look at it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that, uh, Travis. Well, I know whenever Travis turns off his camera, it means he's so angry. He's just stomping. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I just had somebody come and talk to me. The um. I, you know, Jim's taken all the wind out of my sail. I see. So, uh, I, I would, I, I don't disagree with you about the the gigabit conversation, but I will say, and again, I'm looking at it from a, a metro urban perspective, is the number one 
best move I've made in the last 27 years of being in business was start rolling out the fiber network 12 years ago. The, the latency, the reliability, uh, the lack of having to uplift radios all the time is, um, and the constant battle with interference and SNR issues and darn trees growing. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on is, um, was quite frankly, the best move. And has led to customer satisfaction exponentially better than we ever had on the wireless world. Now, that being said, if, if I was in a small town and had a large ag community around me, I would do fiber in the core and I would do wireless out to the edge. I think that's, a, I think that's an appropriate conversation, but I'll tell you what I'll never do again. I'll never have a wireless backhaul to a, to a, fiber, uh, to a wireless distribution point. Oh my, was that a disaster. So if you have fiber to the pole, Man, it, it, I'll tell you what, some of this wireless stuff works pretty darn good if you've got a fiber backhaul. I think one of the things I want to lift up out of that, though, also is that if you were doing fiber to the edge of the farms, Travis, I think it's worth noting that wireless isn't wireless isn't wireless, right? Like, I mean, we particularly have on here, uh, Alan and Matt, who both have stellar records in this. Mm -hmm. We've had on before the folks from Santa Cruz, um, the Cruzio folks, where they talk about the what they do to make sure that high quality of experience. And, um, and we don't see that from all ISPs. I mean, I feel like there's a, there's a number of WISPs that have given the name WISP a bad name because they focused on sort of the bare minimum and then, you know, perhaps uh, over exaggerating it and advertising and things like that. So I just want to say that for people out there who are like listening to this and like, ah, I've used a wisp and it wasn't good. Like you have to understand, like some wisps are great. Some wisps, you know, have, have, are crushing um, their competition, even though they're using, uh, they might be using fiber optics or whatever. And um, your, your mileage may vary. Well, I, I would ask Matt and Alan generally on a sector, how many subscribers are you guys you know, do you have per sector and how big a channels are you using and in, and in what band? I think a lot of that. And then how much interference are you seeing from 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 other noise generators that are around you would be kind of my 10 questions I would ask. <laughs> That's a lot to answer. <laughs> I don't know, 30 subscribers per radio is a, a uh, decent a multiple in the areas where we are offering the speeds that we're offering. Uh, we're doing a lot of... Uh, uh, line of sight, and we're doing a lot of CBRS. Uh, if, if it weren't for CBRS, we wouldn't be able to reach near the number of customers that we we do because we have to go through trees. It's just critical. Um, trying to think of the other question you had in your list there. No, I, I, you know, no I think the wisps that are very. You ever? There's still wisps out there trying to operate in two four. I don't know if you guys are or not. Oh, but, no. It's, it's oh my god. Yeah. Is, is it working okay? See, in some, I, I guess it, it depends on how much noise you have out there, but uh, CBRS, five gig, 30 subscribers on a sector with a fiber attached tower. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Now, if you try to hook up, this is where you run into problems in like urban settings. It's when you try to hook up 500 subscribers, it, it just falls apart. So you know, on a sector, just is, it's not really built. There's not enough spectrum there, especially in a 20 or even a 40 megahertz channel to be, to be reliable enough on a Monday night. Watch it. You know, and Chris raises a good point. Uh, we know a lot of small WISP that we're offering like five megabit service, right? They're 10 megabit service and charging $90 a month for it. And it's just like completely ridiculous. So we don't even go that low end. You know, everything we're doing is is usable speed. You know, everybody's like 50, 100 meg service or better. 
uh, it's, it's very usable. Uh, we obviously focus on putting high quality equipment in and managing the capacity, but not everybody does that. So you have to be careful who you use. I want to make that more aggressive. You just you wait a beat too long to jump in. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, we're, we're kind of in the same boat uh, as far as like channel size and users per sector. I'd say we've, you know, typically about 30 customers a sector on the EPMP systems. Um, we're doing a lot of 20 and 40 meg channels for the most part. Uh, the CBRS stuff that we're using, if we've got it available, we'll run 30 meg channels. And I've got a couple of those we've got as much as 75 or 80. Uh, and that's just about as far as it goes. One of the things that's been a huge help, um, we use uh, a pre-seam appliance or we use multiple pre-seam appliances mm. and those are just fantastic. You put those in and they just do a fantastic job of, of kind of evenly allocating all of the available resources to, uh, to make sure that people get a really good quality experience. Um, it also helps us isolate. And I see the comment here about that marginal customer. Preseam also uh, has the ability to help us isolate the marginal customers and really optimize. So we get the most performance. So um, the other thing I think helps a lot is we really watch our oversubscription ratios. And I think the very, very highest our oversub ever gets is around 20 to 22 to one. Whereas I see lots of, uh, there's lots of non wireless ne networks that are way, way oversubscribed than that. You know, especially, and I, I'm not going to deal with the fiber guys yet, but like on the cable side, uh, you know, there's tons of people that, oh, you buy a 400 meg Comcast or charter connection and it might be 10 meg at peak because the network is way oversubscribed. Uh, and there are, yeah, I've, I've seen fiber networks too. You know, I, I listened to somebody at Mountain Connect several years ago bragging about, oh, we've got the ability to do 10 gig in our downtown. How much do you have feeding it? Well, we've got a two gig feed back to the data center. It's like, well, it's not really a 10 gig connection, is it? Um, well, it but, depends. I mean, I'll just, I think it is worth noting. First of all, um, it's a very good question to ask and it's a good point if you're marketing that. Um, in my experience, a lot of like the school districts and whatnot will have like 40 gig rings and things like that for internal site to site locations. And that's where they really need it. And then out to the internet, they don't, they don't need quite as much typically. So I don't know if that's kind of what they're trying to brag about offering or, or what. Well, no, but but it's a good point because it, it is networking 101. You know, you've got to have your you know your backbone has got to be bigger than your di than your distribution and then your you know your final tier. Um, and I think you'll find, you know, not very disciplined operators or what I like to call CFO driven operators in a lot of different um, a little a lot of different parts of these technologies. You know, one thing I, I would talk about, you know, with with Jim, especially with the SNR, is see we don't see that problem with the EPMP. I don't know about are you Matt or Alan? Are you guys running any of the Cambium gear with TDD? So oh, even yeah. if you have, even if you have a low signal, it doesn't really affect because it affects your time slice. It's not affecting the whole radio, which is we, we've had pretty good luck with that. Yeah, it's performed well. Yeah. So what's really interesting, Preseam has this deal. They they call it a business impact score, and it looks at the customer's signal strength and how much modulation and how much they use the connection. So somebody that's got kind of a marginal signal that uses it all the time would have like a, a high score that you would want to make sure they're optimized. And somebody that barely uses it but has a poor signal, it doesn't affect it nearly as much. So we're kind of taking it a step beyond just what the, what the wireless stuff. We're looking at it really a lot more down at the network level to kind of see what that quality of service looks like for the end user 
and how it consumes capacity on the network. Um, I do want to, I think while we're talking about this, um, I think this is a good place to jump into the tower discussion, um, which uh, I, I thought was an interesting part of a discussion that um, Matt and I were sort of wandered into when we were hanging out at Mountain Connect. And um, you mentioned that you developed your own towers and I felt like it was uh, worth just uh, quickly showing a picture and talking a little bit about uh, why you did that and, and what it's useful for. Sure. So we developed a, basically it's a, easy to deploy, it's a portable tower, but most of the time we put them up and they don't really move. But the idea was we wanted to have something that we could put up in a short period of time that could stay there for a long time, that could also be kind of a regulatory bypass where we don't have to get permitting to like dig or uh, you know run fiber to it or anything else. So here's a picture of one. Now we did have to do a little digging around because it's on the side of a mountain. So we did have to kind of level it out there, but we can deploy these in about a day. Uh, we can go up about, about 55, 60 feet is as far up as we've taken them. And we put these out in places where it's really hard to get anything out there. But what's neat is we can basically, you know, look at a topo map and run our software. It's like, we've got a path, we've got line of sight to a location and we can go work out who the landowner is. And if the landowner will let us put something up there, then we can put this in and we can deploy, uh, we can deploy fixed wireless in a, a very short period of time and, you know, deliver hundred meg, no problem. There's what something is you missing in these pictures though. What's that? There's something missing in these pictures. That's what I was looking at. Wow. Look at that terrain. I would love to have terrain like that. Yeah. We're surrounded <laughs> with 120 foot trees. Wow. You actually have some population. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of empty space out there. This only serves yeah. probably about 10 or 15 people. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say, Matt. You know what I don't see? I don't see any customers. So <laughs> uh, people take their fishing seriously, and uh, they really want to be connected while they're out there for the podcast. That's a nice looking tower, Matt. In, in all seriousness, that looks. No, great. I want to ask you. So, for someone who doesn't know what always what we're looking at, what are what's the innovation that you brought to this, Matt? Like, what what about this is is cool uh, for someone who's not familiar with it? So people talk about, you hear about the cows, kind of the sell on wheels tra tower trailers that get rolled out. So we looked at it and was like, the trailer part is unnecessary. Uh, so this can basically, we have a little utility trailer that this sits on, but you can kind of see that base down there at the bottom. Um, everything packs into that base, including the tower sections. And so we can actually tow it up to a site behind an SUV. So this is basically, we take it up to the site, uh, we put the outriggers on, jack it up, pull the trailer out from under it, and then we put it back down. But uh, the best part of it is because it's not permanent, we don't have anybody who can say you can't put that there. It act, if the private landowner is fine with it being there, uh, I believe it's pretty close to being protected under OTARD. Uh, it's not high enough to have to deal with FAA as long as we're close to an airport. Um, we don't have to trench fiber or power into it. We've run power to some just because it makes more sense to do that. Most of them we have out there, and I think we've got about 25 of these deployed right now. Um, most of them are powered by a combination of wind and solar. 
And and that's one of the key things I feel like this is a regulatory hack as well as a technical hack, right? Because um, if a landowner wants to have some connectivity, you can you can put that in there and they don't have to go through any permitting because you're staying under the, the heightest issues. And um, and this, this gets to do with uh, OTARD, which is a set of federal rules that have to do with uh, putting up um, equipment on a land, like a, on a, someone's land. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice looking tower for us. Uh, I saw Peggy's comment about it being useful potentially on the coast uh, of Carolinas or uh, on a farm. But uh, we would have very limited ability to do it, unfortunately. Matt, is, is the access tier, are you using an Omni or do you have sectors out here? This one's got an Omni. Uh, okay. The few customers... There's a little bit of a, there's a lake out there. There's some customers around the lake. So most of the customers are within about a three to five mile radius. So that's okay. about the place we would use an Omni is if the density is like really, really low. Is there a version of that with sector antennas then? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. We have, we have some that have, we've got one that I think has four or five backhaul dishes on it. Uh, we've got another one I think has six sectors on it. Nice. So, yeah, no, that's clever, but I, boy, no trees. Poor Alan and I live in these damn forests, so. Well, I'm sure that Matt has uh, experience with trees as well in the area. Yeah. <laughs> in some areas. Um, I mean, it's, it, we just ran into, you know, there were, if we could get on the right hilltop, we didn't have to deal with, uh, we don't have a lot of commercial towers in our area. So if we've got to connect the dots between, you know, a couple of different places, if we can find a hilltop and a friendly landowner, we can make that connection. And when you get out into some of these really, really way out there unserved areas, you've got to come up with some creative. We actually have a smaller version of this. We call our fence post repeater. And it's basically a fence post with, I call it a, a hat, but it's got a, it's got a deal on top. That's got a backhaul going back to another tower. And then it's got a little Omni or it's got an antenna just to go down to just like one home. Okay. And, we actually have a lot of people out here that use uh, solar power for like their uh, water for cattle and water for animals. And so uh, if in the winter we have a little bit of an issue with solar, solar tends to have, it's really good 11 and a half months of the year. And then you've got from December 15th to January 15th, uh, it's bad. But the people who live on these ranches are used to changing batteries out. So we just send them a second battery and say if the, Internet dies, you may have to go put a new battery in it, and then it'll start up again. So there was a question about taxes. Um, Jim raised um, local governments. Anyone um, interested in this as a piece of business property? Yeah, we pay property taxes on them. All right. But Chris, you got to, what was this whole thing about? What'd you call it? OTARD or something? Is that another government? Yeah, Matt, you know what it stands for. I always forget. I just know what it does. It's, it was a thing that allowed you to put satellite dishes on apartment buildings and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's it's that uh, you have the ability to put uh, an antenna for communication on your your property, like and there's limitations on on how big it is, but it, that that that's something that basically allows uh, people to put a fixed wireless antenna on their house. Okay. Over the air reception devices rule from the Federal Communications Commission. Okay. It protects. Oh. It basically protects people that want to put up certain installations and so that they can't be denied for um, uh, arbitrary reasons. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Got it. 
Well, one thing I love about what Matt's doing and, and Travis, what you're doing as well, is you're providing you know, a solution to the problem. <laughs> you're finding what is the best solution and you have a, a bag of tricks that you have, a bag of tools and you're bringing them to bear. It's not like somebody's dictating to you that you have to do one thing and that's the only thing. You're being very creative. And I think that results in the best uh, service to a customer. Yeah, that's why we like to have, uh, that's why I like to talk to Matt and, and check in with him, even though he's totally wrong about symmetry. <laughs> I mean, 10, 10 to 1? Download that one? No, no, no. It's just whether like, and I, I'm to be clear, I'm not, a, I'm not an advocate. Like, I don't feel like I'm not pedantic about like we need to have exactly like 940 by 940. Like, whatever. Like, I just, I want enough upstream capacity to, to have creators not be limited. And, um, and I think Matt and I agree on that. We want to make sure that people have abundance in both directions. I, I just draw a different line than he does. I think. Well, it's I, I my line's backed by data and yours is backed by feelings, Chris. So that's <laughs> not the first time I've been accused of that. <laughs> well, and, and the end of the day, the consumer should decide, right? Especially if we can give them choice. And right now there's you know so little competition, which is a whole other uh, topic. But if we can give people a choice, they're gonna choose what's best for them. And yeah. they might choose a 50 megabit fixed wireless or hundred megabit fixed wireless over something else because the price point and the service and everything else. So let's let yeah, I think, decide. So with that question Juan asked about the the solar panel, I'm I'm guessing it's totally, it's easier to, to access if you don't have trees casting a shadow, just easier to keep it where you can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you notice there was a wind generator at the very top. Yeah. Probably a better place for the wind. Yeah. yeah the second best place is in front of my mouth. Um the wanted to talk about the thing with um bead and the unlicensed because we we've we've sort of beat this to death but i just want to be clear like you know i i feel like um uh, there's obviously a lot of talk about tirana uh you know, tirana has been reviewed very well including by many of you uh, travis is installing it so we'll you know we'll get some hands-on experience with it um but it, it's using unlicensed spectrum right and so it's treated as just being crap by default whereas dsl for some reason gets a pass and so i just want to throw that out there because i and i think alan you had a good point just about you know you you deal with you use unlicensed spectrum to compete with dsl how does that work out for you we win every day so like 90 percent of our customers had dsl before and they're switching over to fix wireless we never lose a customer the other way they don't leave us and go back to dsl never so how in the world bead is allowing dsl to be a reliable service and fixed wireless is not that is not what consumers are saying consumers are voting with their wallet and they're switching from dsl to fixed wireless every day yeah i gotta think the only reason that dsl snuck in is because um they didn't want to piss off the the big telephone companies i mean i just i can't i literally can't think of another reason why anyone could say that dsl is generally good yeah there's all all politics right uh, so anyway, I, I, we we have talked about that before, but I just I, I feel like it's really important. And I'll say like I mean I think when you're doing policy, like it's easy to complain about, um, but um, it, it is you can't have a rule that says well good connections are good and bad connections are bad, right? You got to draw some lines somewhere. So they drew some lines. I disagree with it, but I also want to be clear that like one has to. There's no perfect in this world. <laughs> there is there is like good enough and move on. <laughs> So. At the end of the day, maybe the consumer should be the person who decides, right? 
Why should Wait, the government? He's got to stop saying consumer. I mean, I, I'll go with subscriber, but uh, okay, I love the internet too much to to allow the word consumer to be involved with it. So uh, well, you, it just well, chafes at me a little bit. Alan, you really want to get Chris going? You mean maybe the taxpayers should choose how their money's being spent? <laughs> that's never bothered oh, me, oh, Travis. That, that, that'll get Chris going like crazy. No, so. that's, that's never bothered because, me. Actually, oh, if, the you guys want, are... if you guys want in on the bet, right now we're at 99.6% of all bead money will be wasted. You guys want in on this action? <laughs> Chris is saying less than that. He says 50-50, but I... Uh, so I, you I know what? We, we should ask the question. Are you guys going to try to go for any of this bead money? <laughs> I'm, I'm debating answer. do no. we since you can overbuild fixed wireless right i'm debating do we overbuild ourselves yeah but think about the money the cost the taxes you have to pay and all the rules that are attached to it have you had have you seen the laundry list of things you have to operate under i, I have zero idea how anyone could make a go of it yeah, that, that is, yeah, that's the limiting ahead, factor. Doug Dawson did a, an excellent uh, post oh. on it here recently too. But Matt, what do you think? I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be really tough. So, you know, we've managed to work our way through CAF two, and we actually were successful at RDOF. I have a little tiny RDOF award, but we followed the rules and and got it and went through you know the equivalent of a colonoscopy exam on our network model in order to justify it. I mean, they really put us through the ringer on it with fixed wireless. So we've been through that. Um, Bead's not looking very promising, not for a smaller operator. Uh, I, I'm, you know, we're looking at possibly doing some fiber in a few places, but I don't have very high hopes for B. Now I do think that this, I, I do think this about having uh, unlicensed being counted out may not be it. That may not entirely be done yet. It sounds like there's going to be some pretty strong efforts uh, put to get open the open the gate on that pasture. Maybe maybe let some of the horses out. Uh, I think the states are going to have the ability to make some of the decisions on that about where the money goes. Uh, you know, if we're talking about having to spend. You know, I, I actually did it. I did a white paper a couple of years ago with uh, Professor David Reed from University of Colorado, where we looked at universal service in a rural county here in Nebraska. And I think we had a cost of about six, seven hundred dollars per location to serve everybody in the county with fixed wireless. Um, the cost for uh, fiber was in the twenty five to thirty thousand dollar range. So we were talking about just this huge magnitude more expensive. So I, I think like, when we start looking at timelines, how long people are going to have to wait for fiber that I, I I'm starting to question how much effectiveness bead is actually going to have other than number one, getting political points, number two, getting the market all frothed up. Uh, and number three, driving all our costs up. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how effective it's going to end up being because it really isn't entirely a money problem. You know, this is also, it's a right away problem. It's, there is an access to capital problem, but access to capital is a very different thing than a government program that goes out and puts a bunch of money and makes it available to people who already have a bunch of capital. Because I think that's, that's some of the faults that I see in it. And the, yeah, the requirements are rough. We have rough requirements. We've already got some rough requirements for testing and reporting everything else we have to do for CAF2 and RDOF. 
and it's just going to be even worse with this. So uh, I just wanted to jump in on a couple of things I'm already forgetting. One was that um, I'm, I'm always interested in studies that look at fiber versus wireless costs. And I feel like the appropriate way to always do those is always uh, over a term. Um, and obviously, if you do it over like a few years, it's one thing. If you do it over 30 years, it may look different. Um, and and I just wanted to, to say that I feel like that's uh, an important consideration uh, for those things. But I think that's um, kind of a minor point. Um, you know, I wanted to clear up for people who are confused about bead um, that in, in, indeed states will set different thresholds. And Matt, you may see you're dealing with three different thresholds in Colorado, Wyoming, and Nebraska of what constitutes high cost. And when you hit uh, or extremely high cost, whatever the wording that they have, states will designate a threshold beyond which there will be more flexibility to use uh, other technologies. And that's where, you know, you may be competing at Starlink in, in some of those areas, uh, depending. Um, so that will be, I think, important for, for Matt, particularly, um, you know, with the areas that you're building in, which are often extremely high cost. Um, I want to, I want to talk about, um, that, the right of way issue that you brought up. Um, you know, I, I keep seeing elected officials, um, especially, um, you know, Washington, the, the federal folks in Congress and in Washington, D.C., being like, look, that's it. The Department of the Interior really has to speed things up. And I, I'm sure that you have to deal with a lot of the federal Western agencies, Matt. And I, I feel like I keep seeing a lot of rhetoric about how they have to do more. And I don't always understand. I assume the Department of the Interior isn't filled with people who are like, I'm going to screw over Vistabeam, right? Like, <laughs> like, but something's happening there. And I assume it has to do with like not having the right number of people available to process applications. But I wasn't sure if you want to get into any of like sort of the right of way issues and how we actually solve them from your point of view. Well, so right away, I actually was thinking of it from a couple of different ones. So when we're talking about like Department of Interior or government land, th that is one thing. So federal land has a deep and wide bureaucracy that must be navigated in order to cite things. And I don't know. I, 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 that's something that's probably best left for commercial tower owners to do most of the time. So we literally look at maps and don't even try to go on BLM or US Forest Service land if there's any way we can possibly avoid it. Um, so I don't know if there's gonna be a good way to uh, really deal with that. Um, so what I wanted to, my, my point of view on the right of way was that it's difficult for some companies to get right away. If you don't have right away, you pretty much can't do fire. So, or, you know, that that's, that's where I think we've got some issues because, and there are also situations where you can get right away, sure. But if the polls are already full of other stuff and you're gonna have to pay to have each poll redone, there's no reason to do it. So, you know, we look like we, we're doing fiber in a town. We bought, they had a, a cable system that was basically abandoned. So we bought the old cable system. And so we're just taking the cable down and putting the fiber up, no problem. That's our sandbox to kind of figure out how everything works. Uh, there's another town we really wanted to do fiber in, but there was cable and CenturyLink and the poles looked like hell. And it was like, there's no way we, I don't want to fight this battle. You know, even Google came across that where Google tried to do that. The company with all the money in the world gave up on right away issues. And I'll just, I'll clarify people at Google fiber really, um, feel like they do not have all the money in the world from from Alphabet available to them. But but I, I take your point that they had a lot of resources available to them. Yeah. So I think that's that's where, uh, you know, and 
one of the things that happens with right away is, you know, it, it does start to tend towards monopoly again. And that's one of the biggest concerns I have with, uh, you know, trying to put everything into a certain thing and say, oh, we're going to, everything has to be done this way. And we're going to fund these things that only fit certain companies. That's how you end up with monopoly and companies that start ratcheting up prices because you don't have competition. You don't have somebody else to take off the overload if, if their network doesn't work right or they're overcharging customers or they're just flat out disrespectful. Like, you know, the joke about the way a lot of the cable companies are so disrespectful towards, you know, customers. That's, you know, you end up, you end up tending back towards monopolistic uh, business models and ultimately that hurts consumers. And subscribers. Any other, any reactions, Alan? I got that one too. <laughs> Sorry. I would agree. There's not enough emphasis on promoting competition. So many things are designed to limit competition. Even some of the B requirements, you know, are designed to exclude a lot of, of players. Yeah, let's talk about the letter of credit. So you have experience with this, Alan. It's it's why you didn't build in some parts of North Carolina with, with money that was designed to try to help you build in North Carolina. That's exactly right. There was a state grant, uh, the great grant, for those of you that know the North Carolina system. And this was uh, about three years ago. And we were a smaller company then. And uh, first year the program ever came out and there was money set aside to do broadband in the county. And we won the bid on it. We were required to come up with our match of the project day one in cash or a, a letter from a bank. And we were even smaller then than we are now. So we just didn't have it. And all of our efforts to sort of pay as we go and you know use revenue as we generated it and, and buy equipment as we went just uh, fell on deaf ears. So the whole project got pulled from us. And to this day, there still isn't broadband in that county uh, to the extent that we had uh, proposed. And that's three years ago. And it was all because we were just too small of a company to meet what they were wanting us to have. Which and I, we, I've ranted about this before, so I'll do the abbreviated version, uh, which is because they're afraid that they might give money to someone who won't build. The greatest fear in their life is that uh, is that a company fails. Um, no one there considers it a failure on their part that that county doesn't have better broadband, right? Because they are there. They know, and it's accurate, that they will be more measured if you had gone out of business by that than the fact that they just didn't do anything there. And, so we're, and we're still is, here. We're bigger. And yet right. the residents have no service. Right. What good did that do? And now, and Matt, you have uh, you've you've engaged with letter of credit. You have money available to you that you cannot use to connect people because it's sitting there securing that letter of credit, right? That's right. I mean, it's I can't even tell you how frustrating it is that I have a million dollars sitting in the bank, basically that I can't touch. That we just have to have sitting there so that we can continue to show that we're complying with with our letter, with our obligations of the program. Um, and I'll tell you the real shame. So, so we had an opportunity to do a couple of CARES Act projects, uh, you know, in 2020 when, uh, you know, they put some money out for the, through the CARES Act. And so we did a project with the state of Nebraska and a project with the state of Wyoming. And they basically, it was like, well, you know, it, it was, it was kind of wide open. What would you do? And so we went through and I had our next three years worth of upgrades on the board. And I said, here's what we do. And they were like, okay, you can have 30% upfront, 30% at 60% completion and the last 30% when you're done. And you have to do it within 
Nebraska, we had to do it within like six months and we got it done. And then Wyoming was similar, but then because they had started late, they gave us an extension into 2021. But we ended up doing three years worth of upgrades in 18 months. And the CARES Act deal paid for the majority of the equipment, but we still had a ton of expenses. We, you know, I had to hire more people. We had to get more, uh, buy more equipment, buy more supplies, just everything. But we were able to get that out. And I think we have over 2,000 people on those upgraded systems. And it was all done. And like CAF, on the other hand, the money just trickles in over 10 years. We're going to get more money from the CARES Act stuff than we did from CAF. And it was a more focused. So I, I wish we could do more nimble projects like that that were more results oriented and on a shorter time frame. Because what happens with these federal programs is they stretch out for so long. And then everybody has to lobby to get their piece. And then they've got to make sure their competitors blocked out. And then everybody's got to do all these other things. And then by the time you get done, you know, the problem is like four years ago. So that's, that's, I think my biggest frustration is I, I'd much rather see stuff that, that happens a little bit faster, but has more local accountability and gets, gets, uh, you know, gets more results instead of more, all the political machinations just kind of mess it up. We should be rewarded for spending our money to build network, not sitting it in the bank, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for connecting people who are happy. Yes. Like, I mean, that's one of the things that kills me about like all the money that's spent on like uh, charter spectrum and whatnot. People are like, well, they've got broadband. And I'm like, yeah. And who was the most hated industry in America? And I'll tell you, it's not because of, of, of Alan, Matt, or Travis, right? Like, I think each of you has stellar ratings um, among the, the services, right? Matt, you've bragged before because we talk about how Utopia is loved in Utah, and you're always like, I'm better than them. Yeah, we have a higher rating than a lot of fiber providers. And we're not the only one. Nextlink, I think, has like a 4.8 or a 4.9. They cover a huge footprint. There's a lot of really good wireless ISPs out there. Um, and you'd be surprised. It's not about, isn't always about the technology. You can't see it, but I've got a, like our core values on here. But one of them right there is that we respect our customers. And you'd be surprised how far respect for a customer goes uh, and will override lots of technology decisions just by listening to a customer and giving them what they want and respecting what they need. And, you know, it, they don't always need faster speed. They need somebody that can actually help them and make sure that what they're trying to do is doable and reliably works. So, and a $25 gift card to Starbucks never hurt anyone, right, Travis? Hey, that'll solve a lot of problems in the real world, right? Especially when you're in, when you're constructing in the public right away in front of somebody's house. So, it was either that or you were going to visit them in person. Was that right, Travis? <laughs> Carrot or the stick. <laughs> no, no. When people call up and complain, I'm like, well, I'll come over right now and help you resolve it. And, oh, boy, that stops that right away. So, uh, Travis, uh, you've, you've been quiet for a little while. And now you're going to say that you always enjoy the conversation. But I'm, I'm curious. we got a few minutes left. What, what do you want to end with? I, I'm, I'm, um, I, I'm, I commend you guys for, for trying to participate in these, these public programs. Uh, I would pull my hair out because I, I'm with, I'm with you. Did. I, huh? Well, there's a little left. I, um, I, uh, I just want to deliver high quality, you know, service to our customers. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine 
begging a bunch of bureaucrats for nickels to try to build this network and then tying up a whole bunch of money with a letter of credit at the bank that I could be using to deploy to to continue to deploy networks. So that's why my mission this year is to find out who's actually going to apply for this bead grant. We're going to find somebody who and I and I'm I want to watch how it works. Somewhere in the world, Kim just took like a sixth drink. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Somebody will apply for this stuff and live under those rules. You know, I, I don't know. I'm always nervous about uh, taking money from somebody that owns their own prison system. So, you know, if, if, you, if, if you don't dot all the I's and cross all the T's correctly, now I live in Duluth for two years up in the federal pen. Oh, heck no. I'll borrow money from the bank like everyone else, so. You talk tough, but you you went through that ACP audit and uh, it was gives kids gloves. Well, yeah, because I think they just didn't want to. I think it was me complaining on on this show, Chris. You know, I think that. Oh, did I'm it. sure that's what. Yeah, it yeah. The 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 fan heard. Our us. fan con- got in contact with our them. fan got in contact with someone and took <laughs> care of it for me. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, um, I'm real. I'm real curious about the uh, six gigahertz spectrum. I, I think there's going to be a lot of good things that happen in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that uh, when six gigahertz is considered unlicensed and excluded from some of these opportunities, it's just a shame. Hopefully that'll change. Hopefully Matt's comments are going to come true. I'm I'm curious. I mean, there's a, there's a fight right now that I'm I'm peripherally aware of. Uh, we're, I feel like between the satellite companies over 12 gigahertz and a number of others, uh, one of whom is Dish, that would like to see 12 gigahertz more opened up. And I, for the life of me, I'm, I'm I don't really understand exactly the role that all the different frequencies play i'm i'm deeply worried about uh about um lowering the benefits of uh the uh starlink or low earth orbit systems like i feel like they have an important place and i want to make sure that they're protected and i I think many of the people who are interested in opening it up also want to protect it but i'm just curious um you know as you guys are planning out your long-term networks do you worry are you paying attention to the 12 gigahertz space i'm not really i mean if more spectrum is available that's great you know, uh, as long as there's like equipment and a model that we can work with that will make sense. You know, we'll, we're very opportunistic to use whatever's available as long as we've got a platform that's that can use it. Um, you know, something we barely even touched on is, uh, you know, the, the Toronto system and the fact that it basically makes unlicensed spectrum look like licensed spectrum. Um, because, you know, we... We did our first tower of it and we specifically put it in a place that had the worst noise floor that we could find anywhere uh, across our network where, you know, five gig is like in the NAG 50 to NAG 60 is the noise floor because we've got another operator in town that puts up six sector clusters all in four, 40 megahertz channels and they're all within like three three blocks of our tower. And it is a champion. I mean, we're seeing like five, 600 down, 100 meg up and just it doesn't even know that the other the other radios are there so that's actually that is a pretty amazing piece of kit to go out and use in a deployment and even though it is expensive compared to the other platforms we use you know it's i think we added it up instead of being 10 times cheaper than fiber it's only eight times cheaper than fiber so they're 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 pretty proud of their gear aren't they i mean the the quotes we've the hardware we got in and the ongoing opex or you know is 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 pretty high i'm curious you know chris always talks about having low-cost internet i'm more on the doug dawson side that there'll be hundred dollar internet before we know it you know and it's just are, are you able Some to make- already pay a hundred dollars travis 
yeah, yeah. Are, are um are, are you able to make the math work with that Toronto stuff? So far, so good. I mean, okay. we're so to get the higher speed packages. Like, if somebody wants to have you know four or five hundred meg, um, they do have to get the higher speed package. But we're swapping out Cambium for the Toronto. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about it is it goes way beyond. So uh, typical sectors, we're only going to go up to about 30. But a Toronto base station basically has the same capacity as a as a pond node. So we I talked to people that already have over 200 people on a sector and that it's working great. So hmm. it has the ability to scale up a hell of a lot further than a lot of the other other stuff that we've used. The other thing that's nice about it we used to have to do a lot of microcells to get enough capacity. So in the same area, you know, we put one tower of Toronto right in the middle of town and we're good for like about five, six miles. We don't have to put in before to get enough capacity of users. We'd have to put in a whole bunch of, you know, repeaters around town or even if we're doing millimeter wave and we're actually doing a 60 gig underlay under there through the business district. So we're doing, symmetrical gigabit in the business district with 60 gigahertz CN wave. And then we're doing the Toronto over the top. And that, that gets us the, that gets us extended out into the residential areas, but in the core area where the businesses might want symmetrical, then we're going to have the ability to do symmetrical gig there with 60 gig. But uh, the Toronto, basically we don't have to put in so many repeater sites. So the cost of deployment actually goes down. So you've got fewer towers, less backhaul, less battery backup to deal with than you would with uh, more traditional deployment. Yeah, I heard I heard a lot about it. So we're actually going to be rolling one out in July here to try it. You know, I, um, you know, I, I, when we went from just, you know, 802.11b Wi-Fi to the home to EPMP TDD, it was night and day, the, the different in the in experience. Now, if we go from, I'm curious to see what TDD to this Tarvana stuff is all about. Stop putting a V in it. You're killing Whatever, me. Whatever, Tarvana. I don't know what the heck it is. Whatever, Tarvana, you know, we'll, we'll throw it up there and see how it works. You know, I, I you know, I thought like the Medusa 16 by 16 was going to be amazing. And I mean, it's, it's, it's all okay. We'll see how this Tarvana stuff is. And, yeah. Uh, Alan, any thoughts on Tarvana before we we uh, roll it up I, th I think it's a great solution right now it's probably one of the best uh, wireless fixed wireless solutions out there and it can compete with some of the grant requirements and that's how we've actually been bidding our most recent grant application cool yeah, alan do you have some rolled out as well uh we're in the like you we're in the yeah. very early stages of testing nice excellent this has been a uh a fun discussion um and uh, I don't know, it seemed like uh, people were into it. So uh, what more can you ask? Uh, I learned a lot and I, um, and I agree with Jim. I don't know if we put that comment up, but uh, Jim had said um, that he's just seeing so much innovation among the wisps and the, and the, there we go. Um, and, um, and I, and I agree with that. And I think, you know, I, I can continue to believe that a majority of, of public dollars should be spent on very long-term solutions. I agree with what Matt said, like, you know, if that's towers and fiber to towers and whatnot, uh, to me, that's reasonable. Um, I just want to make sure that we are learning from uh, the mistakes we've made in the past of giving um, tons of money 
to the wrong people, the biggest telephone companies, uh, but also to do, you know, yesterday's broadband speeds. And I want to make sure that we are always investing in um, in stuff that will be uh, still useful when the actual network is built, not just when the ink is dry on the the program. So, um, you know, I think there's there's folks out there, and anyone who's um, who's been watching this, I think has a sense now, if they didn't before that, that there are, um, there's all kinds of technology companies out there doing uh, really great work on this. Um, so uh, I want to thank you both for taking the time. Um, you know, Matt, I've given you plenty of reasons over the years to never talk to me again. So I appreciate your, your patience. <laughs> and, um, and I look forward to having you on uh, as a guest again in the future. Hey, iron, iron sharpens iron, Chris. So that's <laughs> it's, and I do. I, I like I like the thoughtfulness you guys put into the shows, but I I, I think it's fixed wireless gets way overlooked. There, there's a lot of talk about fiber, and when it comes to dealing with uh, a lot of places that are unserved, you know, people have already had to wait a long time. So, like every tool in the toolbox, man. I'll yeah. second that one. Uh, we are going to be back on uh, the the 23rd uh next week we're off because i'm camping uh, i'm gonna be out doing a little bit of camping and where, where are you going uh we're going to great river i think minnesota state park on the mississippi um we, we checked it out before it looks like a real nice place um we like did some or what yeah yeah um we did some light backpacking into uh afton uh, a few weeks ago with jackson six years old he took it like a champ backpacking in so um we're gonna be uh getting some of that and i want to work him up so we can go hang out and drop in on matt but then spend some time up in like the wind river or uh, you know just getting up there in the tetons maybe or something do some um some real high altitude camping eventually yeah so. guys we, we have the wrong gig don't we we have to sit back here and serve our customers <laughs> so you enjoy um and i i want to say like i don't know if it, i would just throw this out there because matt i think you might be a, a good person i've been wanting to do a show about lte and the future of lte like pros and cons and uh, deborah simpier who's been on the show before she's huge into the future of lte and so much so much promise and managing the spectrum and stuff like that and i just want to have a really strong technical discussion about sort of pro con so uh, i don't know if any of the people that are listening or if you have an idea later you're gonna drop me an email but that's a show i've been kicking around for a while that i feel like would be interesting she's got an interesting idea there but yeah i'll i'll take the con on that one i've done that at a couple of whisper shows already and okay i i've had my i've had my deficiencies pointed out so i can uh, i'll work on those all right, so we will be back in two weeks uh, with uh, Doug and Kim. Uh, we, we're going to be doing a new, we're going to do it an hour earlier, see if people on the East Coast like that a bit better. And um, then we're going to get a, maybe this uh, LTE show, maybe a different one uh, on after that. So I hope everyone has a, a great rest of the week. And uh, thank you all so much. Uh, it's been another wonderful episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.